who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another review episode of The Mandalorian here on The Geek Buddies! Everyone's getting real good at that. I'm very yeah. proud of everybody. That means they're watching the shows. It's essential, so they're very kind to come on and do that ahead of time. So thank you. Uh, and as you know, I am one of your hosts. Here I am, the outlaw, also known as Roca Fett, John Roca, joined as always by my brother in the middle there. I'm the Outlaws in Law, Michael Vogel, uh, writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. I am not married to your daughter. Uh, <laughs> and, and joining us again, and very kindly doing so, sitting in uh, for Shannon, who is still uh, on his uh, hiatus for now, uh, is the incredible Laura Kelly from Force Toast Pod, and of course from the Jedi Way. Good to see you, Laura. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me back, you guys. I'm excited. 
What's what's this logo on your shirt? What is that? The fork and knife? What is oh, that? Oh, you know, this is like I rolled out of bed and got to work in my dining room uh, slash office, and then now I'm sitting here. So this is like basically my pages. It's the Chicago uh, Hospitality oh, United nice. Against COVID-19. Respect. Oh, that's awesome. I literally yeah. was just, I, I glanced at it when you logged on, and I'm like, oh, Xavier's School for the Gifted. It's cool. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. That's I clearly I was not looking closely I enough. Didn't even, I didn't even make the connection. You know, I kind of thought that I'd be close enough that it wouldn't even show up. So I was just like, I'll just be in a black shirt. That's fine. <laughs> It'll work. It'll work. Uh, well, you know, we're going to get into so many things here. And uh, as uh, Michael is very good at pointing out to me, I'm going to give the spoiler review a warning rather early spoiler warning early this is a spoiler review we are going to go into everything that happens in this episode and my god did robert rodriguez shove a lot into a 30 minute episode uh give or take a couple of minutes pretty incredible stuff from him can't wait to talk about it all so if you haven't seen the episode again if you haven't seen the episode thank you very much for at least starting this episode of the geek buddies review go and watch the uh, episode then come on back and enjoy our analysis of it. Um, any words before we begin? Uh, well, let's just start there. This is a, a season two uh, Get in episode. There. Get in six, there. Chapter 14, The Tragedy. A very ominous title for this episode. Um, and let's get your overall thoughts in about the uh, episode. Let's start with you, Laura, first. What did you feel about this episode overall? So going into this episode, um, I... I I kind of acknowledge this, but I'm just like, there was just no way it was going to live up to last week for me. Mm. Like nothing would have ever lived up to last week. There was nothing that they could have done, I don't think. Um, and so I was left wanting a little bit with this episode. Um, the characters that it focused on and brought back aren't necessarily like my favorite characters in the, in the Star <laughs> Wars universe. So I was just kind of, I felt like I was just kind of along for the ride. It was fine. I'm, you know, it's one of those things where the ending, I was just kind of like, okay, well, that happened. That's not permanent. Like, that, we're going to fix everything. So it just, it didn't have a ton of meaning for me. Now, mm. I acknowledge that not every episode has to have a ton of meaning for me. Um, and last week's episode had a ton of meaning for me. So this yeah. is my off week. And that's fair. You know, this episode was for someone. It just wasn't necessarily for me. Mike, so, was it that's for where you? I'm at. <laughs> Uh, this episode was for me, but I'm not. But I do agree with Laura a little bit. Uh, I do think that a couple things. I think that for most, mm, not gonna say. I'm never gonna say most Star Wars fans again because I keep getting called on it. You're but, learning. You're uh, learning. <laughs> I too, but I too uh, had was so excited to see Ahsoka Tano brought to life that I think uh, nothing would nothing is ever going to be as good as last week's was. Like, last week's was like a pinnacle for me. That being said, they came out with this episode, Guns Blazing. Mm. And there is so much awesome stuff. And as an old school Star Wars fan from back in the day, uh, I, I felt like every five minutes I was like Leonardo DiCaprioing. Like, I was just like pointing at the screen and screaming names of things. Um, <laughs> including when the, the title came up. As soon as it said tragedy, the tragedy, I just screamed in my apartment by myself. Uh, I was like, no, what's the tragedy going to be? But I do think that is what, I think Laura did hit it on something. This episode was great. This episode was a bunch of stuff that needed to happen and stuff that we all kind of knew was going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, now, I think that the way that they did it was amazing. They made it a feast in a lot of ways. There were a couple of surprises in there, but we've known Boba Fett was going to show up uh, at some point. 
Um, we kind of assume that Moff Gideon is going to get the upper hand at some point. Uh, that Grogu getting captured is uh, a big shock, but not the biggest surprise. So I think like it, this wasn't an episode that was filled with gasps and shocks and surprises because it did contain a lot of things that we were more or less expecting. But that being said, Robert Rodriguez just killed it. Uh, in, in 34 minutes, he got to introduce so many characters, so many ideas, had so much awesome action. Um, so even though I wouldn't say this episode blew me out of the water, uh, it was a fucking hell of a ride. I mean, yeah, dank, we- dank, dank Farrick, you guys. <laughs> dank Farrick. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at this episode and it's, it's okay, it's right after the Ahsoka Tano episode and right before the two episodes that are going to be the series, uh, the season enders for this particular season of The Mandalorian. So you're like, oh, do I really, is this the best place for me to be? And so you wouldn't be faulted for thinking this is going to be a filler episode. But I'm somewhere in the middle between you two. I didn't like feel it was okay as much as Laura, and I felt it was, but I didn't feel it was as great as as Michael did or a lot of people I'm seeing on social media. I mean, I had had people on SCN Live this morning uh, who were with me on the show saying that they thought this was the greatest episode of The Mandalorian ever, and I was like, I, I, I wouldn't go that far but for me i enjoyed a lot of what was in here i enjoyed the reveals we finally solved an age-old question a decades-long question that we that we've had about boba fett did he survive well yes he did ladies and gentlemen he wants his armor back daddy wants his armor back and he's come to get it uh, and he's brought some friends along as well and here's a little thing because michael you give compliments to robert rodriguez this little something behind the scenes robert rodriguez was not initially the director for this episode he gave an interview i think a couple of days ago and he said i'm friends with john favreau and he needed a last minute replacement for a director so i said sure i'll come play in the star wars universe what a dream and it's fulfilled all my it's beyond my expectations i mean it was so fun you can't imagine what it's like to walk on a set that has the classic look of the empire strikes back feel and look it's right after that era right after return of the jedi it's that era so you really feel like you just walked into your childhood so uh, that's so it, it's even the task was even more monumental that you were coming right. in last minute to direct this episode mike you've show run things you know sometimes getting those directors to slide in at the last minute is not always the easiest thing will they get the rhythm will they get the vibe of the season i think robert really did and handing him the reveal of boba fett back to life certainly must have been an incredible task to take on and i think he did a great job and we get more with the, the child or grogu communicating with that little that uh, uh, place on the temple there on Tython, which of course looks like Stonehenge to me. Pretty insane. And we get the return of Ming-Na Wen's character. And then we get the Dark Troopers finally showing uh, what they can do. And we get more with Moff Gideon. So I think this episode is deceptively full of stuff in a short amount of time and did an effective job of that. Absolutely. I mean, I do think that, uh, you know, and we did speak about this last week, like you never know with Mandalorian, is he going to get to Tython right away? Is he going to get waylaid? Are we going to like not get to Tython until the big finale? And that's going to be the thing. And, you know, you never quite know. And with this one, they didn't screw around. Like they got right to Tython and like dove right in. And I do think that when you see that this is, I believe, the shortest episode of the season so far. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think it clocks in at like exactly 34 minutes about. Uh, It would be easy to assume that this is going to be the filler on the way to Tython and whatever. And like for 34 minutes, they packed a lot of information in there, which we are going to get into now. Yeah, let's do that now. Yeah, When we pick up... The opening of the episode, we see uh, we see uh, uh, Man- the Mandalorian uh, Dinjarin there with Grogu having this great like father son 
moment you can tell that he's kind of stealing himself he's preparing himself to hand the, the child off he's having a little uh, force playful moment with him with the soon-to-be r.i.p razor's crest right in there just having this great <laughs> moment with them uh, but we'll get to that we'll get to that but they, 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 they're having the great little father-son moment then they land on tython he brings him up to uh that uh, that uh, temple there sits him down in the middle which which to me Look like half a Death Star, like half a Death Star sticking out rock formation in the middle of this weird kind of Stonehenge thing. Then uh, he goes to look around, sees what's happening, and when he turns back around, Grogu is sending out his uh, uh, force uh, signal, so to speak. Then we see Slave 1. So literally, it's right on top of each other. Everything that starts to happen here, Slave 1 shows up. Then we have this conversation between uh, the Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Now, let's just stop there. What did you guys think about the opening, the way they, they just went right to it? We're at Tython. And, oh, this is the first episode where he isn't being asked to go on a mission for somebody else. This is singularly the Mandalorian's episode. That's a really good Laura? point. I didn't even think about the fact that that was, you know, there, there really wasn't a side quest mm-hmm. uh, in this episode. You know, he didn't have somebody coming to him asking for a favor. Um, I really loved the opening. I love the sort of, like you know, father-son playing catch um, metaphor that we got with Grogu and and Din Djarin, which was, it was just adorable. Um, Din Djarin at one point refers to Ahsoka as the nice lady, which I thought was just really kind of cute and funny. Um, And so there there were a lot of little tidbits at the beginning that I really liked. Um, In terms of the sort of like design of this, of this, you know, sitting stone, I think is what Ahsoka called it. Mm. Um, it. It did give me a lot of like sort of rebels feels oh, like we've been, we go to a couple of Jedi temples in, in Star Wars rebels. And I kind of feel like some of the, like the design that was around, like the base of the, the round mm. sitting stone kind of looked a little, I, I don't know. I couldn't pinpoint it in, you know, specifically, but it was, it just gave me those sort of like very much like Jedi and, you know, mm-hmm force warm feels that we don't get a ton of in this show because it's so much about like the gunslinger um so i feel like the fans of like who are really into the force stuff and star wars and really into like the weird force stuff are probably really into this um one thing that i found sort of annoying with that this sort of call it a force field um literally what it was that kind of surrounds grogu um, is that Din Djarin tries three different times yes <laughs> to like penetrate the shield at one point and i'm just like did it need to happen three times? We had 34 minutes of content in this episode. That's all we got. And three times we had to try and get into it. It's like, he, you know, he's the nice thing about Din Djarin is that he's not, he's not always stubborn and he always seems willing to learn. And so yeah. that just seemed a little bit out of character for me. I'm just like, we get it. You can't get into it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, well, there's a little bit of, uh, I have some other thoughts on the other stuff, but yeah, to your point, you know, one of the things you want to do in the thing like that when you're writing is you want like a little bit of escalation. Like they just, he did the exact same thing the exact same way three times. I think it wouldn't have been so sort of like obvious if like he had tried to press in the first time, had jetpacked the second time. Like if they had had some escalation that he was getting more and more desperate, I think it would have added to the stakes of everything. So I did notice that too. Um, you know, as far as him and Grogu on the ship at the beginning, it's really interesting because I saw a meme this week that said, basically, it was kind of joking around, and it was a funny meme, but it kind of made the point that uh, Mando and Grogu are not the main characters of the Star Wars universe at this point, that Ahsoka 
it, with her mission to find Thrawn and Bo-Katan trying to get the Darksaber, they're like these main characters in this epic galactic struggle. And Din Djarin is just like this dude hanging out, like babysitting a kid, being like, I got to take my kid to the, to, the, to, the, to the planet. Can someone help me out? And I actually think like what's great about this opening scene that really grounds it uh, and kind of disproves that a little bit is... I love the idea that with all of these epic things, with, mm. with Ahsoka, Ezra, Sabine, Thrawn over here, with Moff Gideon and the Bo-Katan and the Darksaber over here, and these epic Star Wars level things that we're always used to, you've got this like Mandalorian guy and this little baby, but this little baby might be the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And he's the only one that has this emotional bond. Everyone else like wants him for a reason or looks at him as a symbol of the Jedi or for his M count. And he just loves him like a son. And I think yeah. that like that moment, like everything Laura said about the, 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 the catch, the game of catch between them, it was, it was really, really lovely. Yeah. Um, as far as getting to the Jedi Temple on Tython, uh, Laura, you are right. Uh, one of the things that is cool about it that I think you kind of picked up on without picking up on it, because I actually had to go look it up too, is the symbols that are on the sphere mm -hmm. are Jedi, Jedi symbols that date back to uh, Ralph McQuarrie's concept art from the Battle of Yavin, like Jedi symbols that didn't really get used in a lot of other things until an Old Republic video game. And then as most things nerdy in Star Wars, Filoni used in Star Wars Rebels, uh, where we really saw them a lot. So I think the, the that Rebels vibe that you were getting was because the symbols that they're using, uh, you know, they get used uh, in a lot of the temples that mm -hmm. Kanan and Ezra visit in Rebels and all the Jedi stuff there. So I think that's what gave it that vibe. Because uh, I totally I agree with you. in those gaps. That's all. Yeah, it, it, it totally, because I was, I was feeling, I was like, I was like, it was just a, to Johnny's point, it was like, you know, Stonehenge with a stone in the middle, and yet even before you got, you know, the Force payphone, uh, it was like <laughs> I feel Jedi-ish. This feels cool, and yeah, that's what it was. Like uh, Filoni uses those symbols a lot, so that's where that came from. So yeah, I thought it was like a, it was really quick paced. It was a great yeah. setup. You sort of grounded the emotion, got to Tython, and yes, then uh, you know, as I had said, I think in last week's episode or whenever we were talking about Boba Fett, I was like, you know, Slave One is probably still parked somewhere on Tatooine, yeah, and apparently. It was yeah. because he hopped in that <laughs> shit and drove right in. And I cannot describe the thrill that I got just seeing Slave One roll in there. It's such a cool ship. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you in Empire Strikes Back, it just was such a great design when it first appeared. And it still to date is such an amazing design. And seeing it just roll in, it's like, you know, it's a great way of announcing what we're about to get into. Um, before we even see Tamora Morrison. Like, that ship is so iconic that it was like, oh, this is what's going down. Awesome. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I, you know, To talk about the beginning, I love the moment between them, but I also love when he's like, we're going to do it without the windows, and he's just holding him and flying down. What a great sequence <laughs> that was. Uh, and you're right, the, the Knights of the Republic, there's all of that connective tissue as well. Dr. Afra in the comics, Tython is yep. a part of that in Dr. Afra when she tricks Vader. But also the blue butterfly. You know, you mentioned the owl last week, Mike. That was something you caught. Like, the blue butterfly is something, too, that's important. That's been, you've seen in, in, in other media before with Star Wars as well. I thought that was important to, have to see and be a part of this thing because it's been in various Star Wars stories. It was even on Endor 
on the battlefront in the battlefront games and on clone wars so oh. you've seen the blue butterfly before as a symbol like you've seen the owl following ahsoka as a symbol as well so i thought that was great uh and then and you're right mike this, the introduction of slave one i think this is a great point i was thinking about as you were talking the way it was introduced and once again shows you the amount of money they're sinking into these episodes it looked gorgeous it looked badass gorgeous. it looked beautiful the way it moved showed you that this was going to be a different boba than we were used to seeing in in uh, uh, empire in the revenge of the revenge of the jedi and empire strikes back uh all of that or return of the jedi rather in empire strikes back we're seeing a different boba this is not the boba being played for laughs this is going to be a badass boba and so just for, just as soon as tomorrow morrison comes out and he's got that tuscan raider spear or whatever that is and all the whole look of him overall you're just like, oh crap! The scars on his face, all of it. He just looks immediately uh, badass from the beginning in the first. Beginning. And what he says is, "I don't want the kid. I want the armor that I, the yeah. Cobb Vanth took from me, that the Marshal took from me." And I want to ask you two a question, real quick. One or two, actually. One. How? Yes, it's Boba Fett. Yes, it's no, Boba Fett. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not, now I'm a hundred percent. I took. <laughs> Oh, good, finally. <laughs> yeah, I texted Michael after the episode. I'm like, all right, fine, I'm at 100%. It is Boba. But, no, but, but two things. One, how does Slave One survive on a planet full of Jawa? i got to know how that happens. And why did he allow the Marshal to keep his armor for so long and only come and get it from Boba? Did it have to be taken from him for him to get it from him? I just don't understand what the mystery around that is. Yep. Any theories, Laura? <laughs> I really, you know, I really don't. And it's one of those things where I keep hearing these rumors of like a Boba Fett spinoff series, which again, mm. that's a series for someone. It's not the series for me, um, but it's inevitably going to be one of those things if it does happen that I end up loving because that's what always happens. I wasn't really <laughs> excited about the idea of a show about a Mandalorian and here we are. Um, but this is, uh, this is one of those things that I kind of wondered myself too. I'm just like, you know, has he been on Tatooine the entire time? Right. He has the slave one. It's functioning. It can fly. Clearly he, I would think that he must have left the planet at some time, but then it brings it back to why in the hell you're right. Why did he not ever go back and get his, his armor from Cobb Vant? That just mm. seems like it would have been so easy. I, I, I'm, sh I, I trust this team enough. True to believe that they have an answer. Whether we all like the answer or not, it's like there's definitely movies sometimes where like something like this happens and you're like, they didn't give a shit, they didn't figure this out. These guys have figured, uh, this team, this creative team has figured so many things out. But yeah, a couple of interesting things. Yeah, like with those Jawas literally stripping everything for parts, it is amazing that wherever Slave One was parked, I feel like it was like 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 did Jabba the Hutt have like a special garage and it was like beep beep like like nobody could get in like, but uh but yeah so Slave One but like I do think it is interesting like I guess ostensibly Boba had Slave One maybe he has gone and come but like whatever the reason is that he didn't take the armor from Cobb Vanth. I think there's a cool story there. And another thing, you know, Johnny, you mentioned that he had uh, the Tuscan gaffy stick. Yeah, and he, yeah. like, he basically, he, it's also a, uh, the big rifle he had is a Tuscan cycler rifle. Right. And then he had that big gaffy stick that he was hitting people with. And even in the way he was dressed and everything, it seems like how, whenever he got out of the Sarlacc, he clearly was in bad enough shape that the Jawas came and just took his armor. Cause mm -hmm. that's where Cobb Vanth got it from. And it also seems that, in whatever shape he was in, it seems like the Tusken Raiders might have nursed him back. Like, he clearly has spent time with the Tusken Raiders. Good point. Because he's got their weaponry. Like, it's yeah. like, it, you know, you don't, you don't just show up with the weapons of those people. And I think with the work that, um, 
they that they did in that first episode of this season, mm-hmm. kind of rounding out the Tuscan Raiders so they weren't just sort of this faceless bad guy, and you right. did get that they had their own way of honor and whatever. Like, uh, it seems like Boba spent time with them, and so whether he's just been with them the whole time, right. um, whether you know something about seeing what they were doing to the uh, to the townsfolk made him go, well, I'll, I guess I'll let Cobb Vanth keep this for now. Like, it'll be interesting to see, but I think that there's yeah. definitely probably a story there that we will either hear more about in the next couple episodes, or if these episodes are just jam-packed and we don't get a lot of information, whether it be in a comic, a novelization, a spin-off series, mm-hmm. I think we will get more of this Boba story at some point. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities in play now. Did he get out of that Sarlacc pit really quickly or uh, or like relatively quickly so he could start using that slave one did he go after he got out of it did he realize hey because remember he says we'll get to in just a second he says this is not a spice stream later on in the episode what does that mean does that mean boba was like high on the spices and the 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 mandalorian lifestyle of drinking and doing all this stuff having the ladies or whatever he was doing and he wasn't really focusing on being the sharp hard-edged bounty hunter that he should be that's why he got his jetpack hit and, got, and ended up in the Sarlacc pit. Maybe he realized he had to stop being that way after he climbed out, but like left his armor and went on his own pilgrimage, maybe with the Tusken Raiders, maybe took Slave One in and out, doing his whole thing. Remember, there's there's um, a legend stuff that speaks about him being some kind of protector or marshal himself in a different way without his armor. Maybe he went on that journey, and now he's back because he senses that there's something with the child that is important to the galaxy. So he is back to maybe kind of be a part of this and protect this child. Remember, he's not a bounty hunter anymore, so maybe he's back now to kind of take part maybe. in this overall bigger war. As you mentioned with Ahsoka and Bo-Katan doing them, maybe there's something bigger here that the child connects all these massive stories together. I don't know. Well, it, don't one know. of the one of the things. Well, there is a re, there is an interesting connection that they did bring up, which I thought was interesting. I actually I wrote it down uh, when mm. Boba Fett first meets uh, Mando. He says, I'm a simple man making my way through the galaxy like my father before me. Right. That is a double combo of Star Wars quotes. <laughs> in Attack is. of the Clones, in Attack of the Clones, Jango Fett says to Obi-Wan, I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Right. And much more well-known is Luke Skywalker saying, I am a Jedi like my father before me. So, A, they're really tying that together. Like, that's a, that is a, that is a Star Wars goldmine of a line. But the other thing that we find out by the end of the episode is that Jango Fett, because there's been a lot of questions about was Jango Fett a Mandalorian? Did he steal this armor? The comics that are now no longer canon implied that he fought in the uh, Mandalorian Civil War. But in Clone Wars, the animated series, uh, the Chancellor of Mandalore says he's just a common bounty hunter that he has no idea how he got that armor. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, Jango Fett uh, is proven by Boba that he says he did fight in the Mandalorian Civil War and ultimately was like a foundling. And he's, so Jango Fett is a foundling. Mando is a foundling. Yeah. And Grogu, according to the armorer, is a foundling. Yes. So when you look at when you look at connections, I think it's maybe less that Boba is stepping in to take on this grand uh, mission because I think he is sort of more of a grounded guy who's like doing whatever's in front of him, right. just like he shows up and says, "I just want my armor." Um, but I do think that the idea that Jango Fett, Jindar, Din, Din Mando. Uh, and Grogu, Dinjarin, Dinjarin, and and Grogu all are foundlings, and this yeah. idea that they all found their way to being Mandalorians in a way, I think that's an interesting connection. Yeah, but I need to know why he wants his armor right now. What? Why does he want it right now? There has to be something behind that, and I I hope they well, answer it. 
over there. Well, it's clearly not because it fits perfectly. Yeah, uh, listen, we'll get into that <laughs> in a little bit. You know, I, you know, not everyone can still fit into their high school jacket. I'm just putting that out there. All right. Uh, so we find out after they have a bit of an interaction between each other, you know, uh, between Boba and uh, and uh, Mando, that uh, uh, Mando has, or so Boba has a sharpshooter on the ridge. I didn't believe him at first, but then we look to the left and Fennec Shand is there, Ming-Na Wen's character, uh, so who we thought was left for dead uh, there on Tatooine earlier. And so she is there now. She comes down off the ridge after they all put down their weapons and she shows the fact that she is, she's had some mechanical work done, so to speak, inside of her stomach there to keep her alive, which of course brings back the whole thing with Darth Vader, the whole thing with Luke and his mechanical hand as well, all of that throughout this. So this is, so, okay, let's stop here then. What was your feeling about having Fennec Shand coming back and being in cahoots with Boba? Because that was clearly Boba that found her in the first season and saved her life. And how did he do that? Does he have a degree in this kind of technology? Because his dad did it. Is that what this is part of? What do you got? What do you think, Vogel? Or I'm sure. Uh, what do you think, Laura? Because Vogel was talking about. What do you think, Laura? <laughs> Sorry, I have to, no, I have to distribute. Um, was, you know. No worries. I was very, uh, very excited to see Fennec Shand back. Actually, I'm. I that was probably my favorite part of this episode. Um, I was thoroughly proven wrong because I think I was on team. She's dead. She's not coming back. And whoever that was that came and found her was probably just called Banth. Um, it definitely wasn't Boba Fett. You all are crazy. Uh, that was the season one mentality. Um, even <laughs> after we saw Boba Fett, I was still just like, no, that was probably Cobb Banth still. I don't know. Um, but I think the lesson that we can learn here is that anytime we see any actor that has any kind of notoriety appear in The Mandalorian and then die, it sounds like they're going to come back. <laughs> I think that's become like a yeah. pattern yeah. <laughs> with this show. Um, so hopefully they break that at some point. So it just becomes less predictable, but I really was excited to see her. I mean, no one is fantastic. I loved her as this character. I love that she was teamed up with Boba Fett of all people. Yeah. And then they teamed up with Din Djarin of all people. It was just this very unlikely dynamic that played out really well. And as little as I care about Boba Fett as a character, it was really fascinating to me to see his sort of evolution throughout this episode because mm. of the way that he interacts with Din Djarin mm-hmm. and the way their dynamic kind of goes back and forth was really fun and interesting to watch. I enjoyed yeah. that. Mikey? Uh, those are some rockin' abs. That's what I thought. Those are some, <laughs> some rockin' abs. Those uh, no, wires. Those are wires. Listen, I, I want to have core strength like that. <laughs> uh, but no, I thought it was cool. I, I, I like Laura. Uh, should have known better. Ming-Na is a big enough name that you don't just bring her in for an episode. Uh, right. I thought she was dead. I was 100% on the, she dead. Uh, so her, like, like to the point that when Boba was like, I, there's a sharpshooter up there, she's got her eye on you. I was like, is it Aura Singh? Like, I was going through my, like, Rolodex oh, wow. of, like, peop, women who Boba <laughs> has worked with. I was like, who is it? Um, but, like, so when it was her, I was like, oh, of course it's her. I'm an idiot. Uh, it's great. I love Ming-Na. I think it's great. I think, uh... I think, uh, you know, she's what? Is, she's, she's one of the only people that has, like, the Disney... She's the Disney triple threat. She's a Disney princess, and she's in Marvel, and she's in Star Wars. So, yeah. like, she's a badass. Don't mess with her. Um, yeah, it was great to see her. And much like Laura, this dynamic of the three of them kind of being at odds with each other and then instantly bidding, getting thrown into a situation where they all have to work together uh, was just a ton of fun. And she's a badass. Yeah, and before we get into the the battle here, why do you think the Mandalorian doesn't want to give his armor, give the armor back to to Boba? I mean, he's very. Is this part of the this 
supposed cult thing that he's in or his religious sect that he's in yeah. about the man? Like, is that what this is all about? I think Din Djarin is supposed to be us in this situation, the mm. audience. He's supposed to be, you're not a Mandalorian, you don't get this armor. And now this is the the comeback right. of, no, actually, I am a Mandalorian, or my father was at least. The armor belonged to him. I, you know, wa- let's see what I can do once I strap all this stuff on. Um, yeah. Wait till, you know, just wait and see. And yeah. I'll show you. But I think yeah. that was sort of what we were supposed to get out of it was like, you know, we were supposed to be Din Djarin in that situation. Okay. And, and, and remember, like, you know, Din, Din knows way less than we, we know that Django Fett right, right. was this dude. We know Boba Fett. Right. Like, as far as we, as far as he knows, this is some dude who's like, hey, that's my armor. And he's like, you're not a Mandalorian, so you don't get it. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's been pretty consistent on his whole Beskar belongs with the Mandalorians. Um, and I think that in the same way, like, you just... I don't even want to say that they warm up to each other because there's not a lot of time for uh, for yeah. like emotional exposition. But after fighting with each other and kind of being on each other's side, like they definitely both grow to respect each other. And I think that realization at the end that his that Django Fett was a foundling just like Din, it's like mm-hmm. okay, yeah, this is legit yours. You As warriors it. do. I mean, I didn't respect Laura Kelly until I saw her in the Showdown tournament. Then I realized she could, <laughs> she, could really she was tough as nails. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing I think, you, which is great here, is that. That you once again you proved every episode that Din Djarin very much believes in the tenets of his uh, of what he's been taught in this Mandalorian sect. It's a very strong, strong foundation of who he is. But in every episode, it also seems to get challenged by a different person mm-hmm. every time. Bo Katan. That's two Mandalorians now. Bo Katan and uh, Boba Fett challenging him. And are you surprised when he says the names? that Mando doesn't have a reaction to that. Have they not been told about Django or Boba or anybody? He didn't really seem to have a reaction to this. Why would he? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's just more like he doesn't know about the Jedi. He doesn't know about this kind of things. Has he been very singularly trained to not know about the history necessarily of Mandalore that much? A couple things on that. Uh, I've been talking a lot. Laura, do you you, want to weigh in on that? Well, I think the only point that I would probably make was that the Empire made a very um, concerted effort to erase the Jedi from existence, Mm. um, which makes me think that they probably made a pretty strong effort to erase a lot of different aspects of history. One of Mm. them might be the clone army and how it was created and who it was created from. Yeah, as far as as far as two two things, two parts of that. Mm. As far as the Jedi part of it goes, a Laura's one hundred percent right. They the one of the ways that they've sort of retconned this twenty odd years uh, between uh, Sith and New Hope mm-hmm. is to say they they kind of say in Rogue One when they uh, when they blow up the temple on Jeddah, they actually yeah. say this is like the final remnants of the Jedi. Like they've been erasing the Jedi history. Also in season seven of Clone Wars, when Ahsoka meets the Martez sisters, you get a very different uh, oh, yeah. uh, you get you get a very different opinion about the Jedi. We see the Jedi as these heroes who are in the war. They're like these people don't care about us. They're like they're just off doing their whatever, and they're not looking out for the common folk. Uh, and on top of all of that, Children of the Watch seems like a very closed off sect yeah. where they are training a very specific way of thinking of things and not even including uh, the rest of the history. So the fact that people, you know, it's, it's something to always remember about Star Wars is that we as the audience are privy 
to the most important people in the galaxy doing the most important things that need to happen. And right. most people in the galaxy are not aware of yeah. all of those details. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not 100% surprising. And um, on the Mandalorian front, like, yeah, he's been raised by these children of the watch and thought that was all there was. Right. And I think it's kind of neat. It kind of is a echo of like season one, we watched him kind of change his opinion on droids over yeah. the course of, like, that was sort of his thing. I hate droids, I hate droids. And then you had the IG-11 moment. And season two is opening him up in a similar way, but just about Mandalorians and what it means to be a Mandalorian. So right. I think it's kind of neat. Season one is when you leave your family's home to go to college. Season two is leaving college to go out to the workforce. I think so. you change you your go. mind there about you a go. lot of things, that's for sure. Uh, right, expanding your mind, man. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Leary, Mandalorian. That's what I want to see. I want to see that sect of uh, those. But anyway, we get the now let's get into it. The battle. The battle happens here. Stormtroopers landing uh, from what we find out later is Moff Gideon's ship. They all come down. These uh, transports and they all come out a la like D Day, like we've seen in Saving Private Ryan. They all just kind of wrap when this thing goes down and they're getting uh, shot at by uh, both Bing Na and uh, Boba. But uh, Dinjar only cares about the, the child, runs up there to Grogu to try to save Grogu. And as Laura mentioned, gets smashed back by the force uh, again. But to, be, but to be fair, every single time he goes, he gets further in and then gets shot back out. So maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Uh, eventually, we see Boba kick in mad ass because he's got his, uh, he's got his uh, uh, um, armor on, doing all his things with the spear. Destroy. I mean, apparently, somebody said this morning, it was candy glass is what these uh, helmets of the stormtroopers are made of. He was destroying I, people. Uh, have we quick. ever seen a stormtrooper helmet shatter like I that? Ha I, I haven't. No. I, I don't know. Woo. Have you guys? I didn't see. I made a like note that. that said, "Are there is is all of their armor just made of like dried ramen noodles? It just like <laughs> cracks and falls apart like it's nothing. It's so bizarre to me." Uh, <laughs> Jay Washington had a great tweet. He goes, "What what is the possible benefits?" And package of being a stormtrooper. What are you possibly getting out of this? Because you're just getting. And this is old school. I love the old school look of the stormtroopers coming out. You had the dude with the orange shoulder pad who's in charge of them. In essence, uh, is it a pauldron? I think it's what it's called, a pauldron. That what he's wearing. All of that in, in charge of them. And but they seem to come out in large numbers uh, from a yeah. small ass transport. Somebody, I saw somebody, somebody online referred to the uh, stormtrooper <laughs> transports that landed as as uh, imperial clown cars. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, <laughs> they were just they were just pouring out of those things. But I do like, yeah, you are right. There is something just intensely satisfying as an old school Star Wars fan yeah. about seeing a squadron of classic stormtroopers come out with the classic weapons. Uh, you know, like they had that uh, that E web blaster, that mm -hmm. giant blaster that they have to set up that we first saw in Empire, and they're just, and you know and and so a it's great to see that, uh, and then b. It's just, they're just cannon fodder for these three badass warriors and yeah. just watching them all sort of do their thing. Everything from, uh, from uh, Fennec Shan using her rockin' abs to knock that rock off the cliff right. to, uh, to then like Mando to Din kind of landing in front of her and like using his Beskar armor to take all the shots while they worked as a team to then, like you were saying, Johnny, uh, you know, Boba goes and gets his armor mm -hmm. and shows up. And I think sort of, it was almost like everyone on the Mando creative team was like, we really got to make up for how he went down 
in Return of the Jedi like a like a loser, and we're gonna remind yep. everybody why they love Boba Fett in the first place. And boy, they re- despite my joke about uh, him fitting in his armor, you know, you do what you do. Tamora Morrison is the size yeah. that he is. It is what it is. But like, <laughs> there's it's it's it almost made it even cooler. In a way, you know, you see this guy who's okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a stretch. It maybe, felt like maybe your that's dad what... putting on his old uh, football jersey from high school, and I was like, ah, yeah, I could see how you once did look cool wearing that, but I don't know. Anyway, I yeah. like how they paired it with the big gaucho pants this time. That was kind of a fun look. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it same pants that Ahsoka had in the last episode. Let me put uh... it this way. Let me put it this way. They did. They did what they could do yeah, to make true. it look awesome, and he legitimately was a fucking badass fighter. Hell yeah, so. he, was. Hell he yeah, really he was. was. And I think yeah. you're right, Mike. I think they used this episode to very much reform what had been the jokes at Boba Fett's expense for many decades, because people have always been like, why does everyone think he's such a badass? He barely did anything. And I was like, no, you have to go and read the stories, read the legends, read the other stuff. Those flesh it out. Uh, but yeah, you had to show him, and he kicked a lot of. I mean, I love the rockets that come out of his knee pads, which apparently in the past have been poison darts that he could shoot. All of that stuff was great to see. All the things he well, could use. And yeah. apparently, we've never actually seen the dart, the the uh, missiles come out of the knee pads. Apparently, right. that was only ever mentioned in like one of those Star Wars visual guidebooks oh, wow. about Boba Fett. They mention that his knees had these like missile launchers in them or whatever, but we've never seen them. And again, it's just one of those crazy things where this team is like so entrenched in Star Wars <laughs> that they're like, oh, oh, it's in the book. We are going to do John's this like, thing. John's like, excuse me, let me Mr. Filoni, Mr. Filoni, Mr. Filoni, <laughs> I found the knee rockets, Mr. Filoni. Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's basically like that. So it's like... Yeah, but it was great to see, and they all equipped themselves well. Fantastic battle, but of course, this is all dead. Then eventually, the stormtroopers. And then, by the way, that moment where Ming Na Wen or Fennec Strance uh, knocks the boulder, obviously an homage to George Lucas and uh, and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Which, that boulder going down, which just complete sidebar, but something I just learned recently. Yeah, the Raiders of the Lost Ark ball is an homage to Uncle Scrooge comics back in the day, Ooh. and Uncle Scrooge inspired Indi- inspired Indiana Jones. So. Uncle Scrooge and the in his adventures inspire Indiana Jones and the ball, which then is referenced in uh, Mandalorian. So my point wow. is everything goes back to DuckTales. Anyways, <laughs> back to Star Wars. Carry on. Isn't DuckTales Disney? Yeah. So it's everything all, does go back. So now it's all Disney. Now, it all, it's all part of the circle of life, guys. Um, anyways, yes, it was, it, was a great, it was a great Raiders reference for sure. Yeah, it was. And so the transports, eventually they all take off, uh, and then we see the uh, dark troopers come down uh, and uh, uh, Din Djarin running up that hill because he had taken off the jetpack. It occurred to us, like, why don't you put on the jetpack? Why did you put on the jetpack? But I guess just in that desperate moment, running up the hill, trying to get to the child or trying to get to Grogu, doesn't get there in time. The dark troopers look badass, man. I mean, for to juxtapose them to the old original trilogy stormtroopers look, and which is cool. But like seeing the dark troopers, she's like, dude, this is next level. They grab the they grab Grogu and they take him up uh, to the ship. Boba follows along and then sees uh, Gideon's huge uh, ship there and uh, and you know reports back that he it's it's there and all that is happening. So, what did you guys think about them taking the child uh, and everything that happened right afterwards with the dark and then the look of the dark troopers? Uh, uh, Mikey. It, well, and the destruction of the Razor Crest. Yeah, and this, I'm sorry, we were gonna get to that. I wanted to pull it aside for just a second, right. but yes, go ahead. Just wanted want to make sure. Wanted to make sure we talked about it because it hit me very deeply. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, you, it's like I said earlier at the beginning of this review, it's something kind of you knew was going to happen. Like you know that at some point Moff Gideon's going to have yeah. to get the upper hand. I love that little Grogu so much, <laughs> and I don't like seeing him in peril. It's very upsetting to me. It, like, and yes, the Dark Troopers looked amazing. I hope we get to see them do more. Uh, the, that first reveal of them and seeing so many of them was such a big thing. So like seeing these four come down and just like take Grogu and take off like was great, but I want to see these guys in action too. Yeah, yeah. That was my complaint as well. I'm like, you know, they looked fine, but we didn't really see them do anything. So it'd be nice to actually see him in action. Hopefully that happens uh, soon. I mean, oh, particularly yeah, I those, uh, I forget, too. I forget what they're called, but those droids that, uh, the magistrate had last week in Ahsoka's episode, mm. like they, mm. you just had some really cool moments with those droids. I mean, not the, the dark troopers f- seem like they are much more of a threat than those old school droids that she had, but those droids had some cool moments and like flipping up onto the ruse and stuff. So I just really hope we get some uh, more dark trooper action in the next, next two episodes. I have a feeling we will. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and, Let's okay, so let's get into it. I mean, I in the history of time, and maybe Mike or Laura can correct me, I don't recall Star Wars who loves to sell toys ever purposely destroying one of their ships. Star Trek does it all the time. The Enterprise gets blown up all the effing time. But I have never seen I mean the bucket of bolts is still hanging around for God's sakes. The Falcon is so the, when they blew up the Razor's Crest, I stopped the episode. Cause I was like, <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? I, no, you blow up slave one that thinks 900 years old. Don't you blow up the razor's crest. I was, and especially after they'd done all that work to fix it back up again, to have it get blown up. I was really surprised by that. Were you both shocked that that happened? Uh, I got to say my first thought was, oh my God, if this is what they're referring to with the title, the tragedy, <laughs> that is so freaking funny. Cause we hadn't seen the whole stuff with Baby Yoda happen yet. I was so that. convinced. I was so convinced. I was like, that is so freaking funny because somebody messaged me later and they're like, yeah, all those people that bought the, like, I think it was like three or $400 yeah. Lego set of the, of the razor crest were like, so pissed. I was like, <laughs> Oh, yikes. But, you know, we do see we see a razor crest in the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. People are were always we're kind of assuming like, oh, that means like maybe they're maybe they're involved somehow in that in that era still. Mm. I mean, I have a feeling he's going to get another one. So, you know, when it comes to the whole like toy sale, <laughs> toy sales thing, I have a feeling it's going to come back. My whole thing with the razor crest for like the entire time it's been on this show, I'm just kind of annoyed with how like what a piece of shit it is sometimes when it's like constantly falling apart. I'm like, just get it fixed so that it stays fixed. God, but it's it's it, that's a weird personal thing that I have with it. Yeah. I kind of I did not mourn the razor crest as much as the rest of the internet did. I think <laughs> I. I, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Razor Crest. You know, mm. having worked at Hasbro, I know that the Millennium Falcon is held up as like one of the greatest vehicle right. toys of all time, and that people love the Falcon. And in for most of Star Wars, the Falcon, as Johnny said, is a bucket of bolts that's not working. I mean, for most of Empire, the thing is fucking broken. Yeah. And so uh, I think they've done an amazing. Uh, Opposite counterpoint to Laura, uh, I really have grown fond of the Razor Crest. I'm not a guy who <laughs> falls in love with the ships. Like I, I think they're all cool looking. I think the design of ships is great. Uh, but there's it's most for most ships in Star Wars. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like it looks great, but I I don't get emotionally invested. And I really kind of have fallen in love with the Razor Crest to the point that when that happened, I was like, oh, fuck, man. Like come on. <laughs> uh, I I do think that. 
I mean, there's not a lot to rebuild from, so he'll probably have to get a new one. But I do yeah. think that Mando will get himself a new Razor Crest at some point. Yeah, I'm sure he will at some point. I just want to see the video of the nerd walking into his his uh, Lego constructed Razor Crest and just smashing it out of anger for it having been broken. <laughs> I just want to see that video. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, so all right, so then we realize what's going. We go to we go into. Um, uh, is that a destroyer that Gideon is on? Is that what you would call? You know, Mando it, called it a cruiser, but cruiser. I it is, kind of assumed it was a, a star destroyer. I, yeah. I it is a, actually yeah. not a star destroyer. It is. Um, <laughs> Look it up. Uh, Look it up. It is. It is a. It is a art. Uh, our our Keaton. Our our Keaton class light cruiser. If you say uh, so. Yeah. Which has not been seen in any of the movies, but has oh. been seen in Star Wars Rebels. Oh, um, the light cool. cruisers. The light cruisers are what the uh, some of the imperial troops are flying in there. So it is not actually an imperial star destroyer. It's a little mm-hmm. bit smaller. It's a light cruiser. Uh, but yes, I was also curious about that, so I looked it up. I don't think I'm actually pronouncing Arkeaton yet correct, but uh, yeah. but that is what it is. Um, okay, so we go up there. We see uh, if I might get this chronologically correct. Do we go up to the ship there, or do we go up to the ship at the end? Is that what happens? I don't remember distinctly uh, just yet. Mm- Mando, you know, Gideon's you know, at the end. So, so basically, so let me, sorry, I just clarified it. Gideon's at the end. So uh, when all this happens, we go back down. Uh, um, uh, Mando finds the ball, which is a great little moment. Nice callback from the beginning of the episode. And, yeah. and the Beskar spear, which a lot of people are speculating is what he's going to use to fight Moff Gideon. It is not going to be a Sokatana lightsaber battle with Moff. It's going to be Mando with the uh, Beskar spear against uh, uh, Gideon for with that dark saber. So we shall see. But uh, Boba um, and uh, and Mingna the, they uh, pledge their allegiance to him because the deal was we give you give me the armor, we will protect the child. Well, they let the child get having the child letting the child get taken. They feel indebted. To him so now we have three people on board here then we go to uh uh to where um i'm sorry what's the navarro. navarro is it navarro and then mm-hmm. uh, he's talking to cara dune uh and she has joined the new republic uh and gonna be a part of that but then saying she has to follow the rules and he's looking for of all people he's looking for bill burr give me a fucking break but it's there we're gonna have to deal with it for the next two episodes so um what do you guys think about all of this this team he's assembling to go after Moff Gideon. Uh, well, before that, just really quickly, one thing I want to say about the Empire moment. I know, I know. I, I soon, You know what's so funny? I don't have as much of a problem, but when I saw that that's who he was going for, I was like, oh, Johnny gonna be mad. Johnny, <laughs> Johnny gonna be mad. Uh, oh, no, Moff, I, Moff Gideon, what do you want here, Moff Gideon? Yeah, no. Uh, one of the things I think is neat, and I, I we've talked about this before, but... I do love, again, the way we see other people react to things. Like, we know that the Empire is going to become the First Order. We oh, right, know right. that Starkiller Base is coming. But, like, that moment where Boba sees them and he's like, it's, you know, the Empire, they're back. Mm-hmm. And the reaction yeah. is, no, they're, no, they're not. The New Republic is out here now doing it. Like, they're just, it's that the constant little ways that they're reminding us at this point in Star Wars history that most people think the war is the Empire empire's gone and this is the group of people that are dealing with the empire and going like it's keeping in mind that luke skywalker leia han all the people that we know from return of the jedi uh that we meet again in force awakens like Leia's going to get wise to it later on and form yeah. the resistance but as of right now mando boba Fennec, like Kara, like these are the people that know the Empire's back, uh, and no, and grief, grief, Karga, and nobody else knows. And I think that's kind of a cool story to be telling. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I, I also, uh, somebody pointed out that when Kara's going through the prison logs, the, the New Republic's prison logs, there's like uh, a thousand action figures just waiting to happen. Like they go through all these characters that actually have names that you, that we, if we were, you know, back in the olden days, every one of them would have an action figure. True. Um, yeah, I'll be curious to see. I know that the chapter six, The Prisoner, was not a lot of people's favorite episode in season one. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I know that next week, uh, the next episode is going to be written and directed by Rick... Uh, Famiyama? Famiyua. Famiyua. Yeah. Uh, he, he's written and directed it, and he did The Prisoner. And I'll be curious to see. I mean, I, like you said, with, uh, with, with, with Filoni, with Bryce Dallas Howard, everyone who had episodes last season that some people had issue with came back super, super strong this season. Yeah. So I'm hoping that even though uh, Bill Burr's character, uh, Miggs Mayfield, is not everyone's favorite, Johnny, uh, and that The Prisoner was not everyone's favorite uh, episode of season one, I'm hoping that uh, he too comes back strong and you kind of see The Prisoner's the only episode last season that didn't really tie into the season finale. So it'll be mm. interesting to see how all of this ties into where we are now. Laura? You know who no one wanted to have come back? It's not just John Roca. I feel like no one is asking for Bill Burr to come back to Star Wars. This is, it's just absurd. It's so ridiculous. I hated him on SNL this season. That was so awful. Oh, yeah. That um, was, oh, that was, was bad. That yeah, was if bad. If anyone knows what the quality of SNL has been in recent years, this was so, so bad. Yeah. It was so bad. Like, anyway, um, yeah, so I'm not excited for that. Uh, I love that you brought up the First Order, though, Michael, because it's really interesting to watch that last scene with Gideon and Grogu and the Stormtroopers. Mm. If you, you can hear the First Order theme playing in the background. Yep, and it's point. just you so... You sure can. I had, like, this weird out-of-body experience where I'm just, like, I felt like my worlds were colliding a little bit. Mm. Um, so that was, that was interesting and weird and fun. Um, and also, yeah, really, really sad because... A poor baby Grogu got stunned, but also really interesting because like Moff Gideon just seemed so delighted to see him again. <laughs> like he was just, he was like smiling the whole time. I'm just yeah. like, oh my god, you're a psycho. Well, <laughs> sadist. And not only not only that, but also clearly has had Grogu before. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like like something that like people may have assumed or uh, or thought like it kind of confirmed by this that like it's not that Moff Gideon has been on the trail of Grogu he had Grogu at some point he knows he's like oh I know that you get tired so you're not going to be able to do this anymore uh no 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 like like he clearly was like this had come back into Grogu had come back into his care which I thought was really interesting but yeah to your point in the past two episodes, Ludwig Gorenson has done a great idea, a great job. In chapter 13, we got that great little riff of Yoda's theme. Yeah. And, of course, Ahsoka's theme from Clone Wars and Rebels kind of played throughout. And, like, that little hint of the First Order theme. It's really cool how they're using music to tie us into these different eras. Yeah. Do we... Do we? Yeah, I mean, do we think that it was Gideon who stole uh grogu out of that temple before everything that happened with anakin and whatever like could he have could he have taken him and then it was taken from him uh so is that possible as well like everyone's been speculating that it was darth maul or somebody else who took uh, a grogu out of there before anything happened is it possible that it was gideon because he had his own plans for the situation he would have been young what is that well revenge of the sith would have been right no, it's there's well, what tw- eighteen, 
1921. About 30 years before. Yeah, yeah about 30 years. About 30 okay. years. So okay. he could have been, he could have, like, it's possible. Okay. 30 years is do the right thing, Giancarlo Esposito. So to me, that works. He's in, he's in the equation. It's a good, it's a good point. Very I'm good. Just saying, he's an adult 30 years ago. So uh, I could see that happening, but may, maybe not. We'll see. I'm sure it'll be explained. But yeah, Mike, you're absolutely right. It felt very clear that he had previous uh, uh, relationships or connection with Grogu. Just the way he says, oh, you've gotten better at that. Just the way he said that is, of course, having seen how he was before. But also, it gave me, I don't know if you two got that vibe, as he was choking them and slamming them into each other, it gave me that vibe of, you know, Sith Lord Grogu. I'm just saying, in my mind, I started seeing that he could be used for evil. Um, and the way he was playing with those stormtroopers, like tossing them back and forth. And yes, it exhausted him, but still, it was... Like playing with your food almost. I just, I got a weird feeling about that as I was watching. I, I, I think you're a little bit more on the Grogu is secretly evil train than I well, am. I'm saying he could turn bad. I'm just saying he is. I, well, he, I mean, I do think, look, they, they do, uh, force choking is definitely a dark side thing. Um, and they use it, you know, he did it to Cara Dune. He, he, Thus far, he's only using it in a protective stance. Like he did it to Cara Dune in Not season true. one because he was, he, he thought, Mando was threatened and here he's clearly just trying to protect himself and yes. it was thrilling to open that door and see him just kicking all kinds of force ass for a few yeah. minutes I'm like oh this is some shit but yeah you know like even in Clone Wars they did it really well with Anakin even though they really turned Anakin into like this really heroic Jedi like when he couldn't get what he wanted he was not above a force choke so the force choke is definitely a symbol of the dark side kind of rearing its head. And the dark side is through fear, whether that is his fear in protecting Mando, as Ahsoka said, those connections can lead to the dark side, or the fear that he has of being in the Empire's hands. Like, I do think that uh, it is he could go down a bad road. And I think per Ahsoka's point in Chapter 13, um, you know, there, like I said last week, there's all this discussion that connection can lead to the dark side, but I also think connection can lead to the light side as well. And I think his connection with Din is actually ultimately going to be the thing that keeps him from going down that road. Mm. What do you think, Will? I think the danger with the dark side Grogu stuff comes from the fact that he has a total and complete lack of training. And, mm. you know, it can come, I think, from a lack of training or from a lack of good training. I mean, mm. think about characters like Ezra Bridger, who had, he had a master. He had Kane and Jairus to be, to be guiding him along the way. And he still strayed and had some dark side tendencies. So it, I think it's something that any force user can be vulnerable to. Um, and when you're talking about a, a character as vulnerable as Grogu is being essentially a baby, um, I think that that's gonna, that's gonna rear its head every now and then. It's gonna yeah. come up inevitably. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think it's something that's gonna determine his fate going to the dark side ultimately, okay. but I think that it is gonna be something that he's gonna continue to struggle with um, until he gets proper training and learns how to control it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to explore, and I really enjoyed sort of bringing in the the Kylo Ren First Order theme when that was happening. I also yeah. enjoyed yeah. this little detail of the stormtroopers. You could hear them screaming as Moff Gideon was yeah. walking down the hall, and I, I appreciated that a little bit too. I was yeah. kind of like, what am I hearing? I thought I was like hearing something in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, it was Any, awesome. What did you think about him toying with toying with him, Laura, with the dark saber? That seemed a bit. Uh, uh, I don't know. That seemed even more evil that he was messing with him with the dark saber. And he says, See, me, "Oh, you're not felt, ready to play with these things yet." Would you? Think? That felt a little bit of like Darth Maul at the end of Solo mm. for me. I'm just like, 
They just brought it out so that he could wave it around and show <laughs> us again. They just wanted to show it off. Like That's how dudes just, are, Laura. We're terrible like no, that. Yeah. yeah, they really are. I'm just like, there was just no purpose to it. They were just like, ooh, look. Like, it was just something shiny. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure there was a bigger purpose to it, but that's just how I read it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, I mean, well, usually with stuff like that, uh, you know, like when I saw that, kind of similar thing, there's no real reason for him to do it. It's yeah. usually like a reminder moment. Uh, you know, you have to like, sometimes you just like remind the audience, even though we've been on board the whole time, they always put those little things in there. And like, yeah. you had that moment at the end where, where Din kind of took the Beskar spear out of the rubble. Right. Right. And so he's holding the Beskar spear. He's holding, uh, Grogu's little ball. That's the only two things that survived. And then you kind of go to Moff Gideon and you see the dark saber. And I think Johnny's right. It's kind of like just reminding you that these two main characters in this struggle of the season have these two weapons yeah. so that as we go into these next two episodes, which I think most of us are assuming are going to be, uh, a big epic two-parter kind of the way season one was that these are the weapons of our of our hero and villain for this season well let's speculate that as we wrap up here because uh, you know, we're almost at an hour now uh he sent the call out so we wonder if a jedi will show up before the end of these next two episodes or not and also we don't know who's going to show up we'll see and also uh, this idea is is the next episode just going to be them breaking bill burr out of prison is that what we're going to do? And then laying a little more of the groundwork for what we're going to see. I mean, this is essentially, you know, bringing the band back together or the Avengers coming together to take on Thanos. This is what it feels like a little bit to me, picking up everybody to come along on this uh, uh, battle or adventure. Yeah. Mikey? Laura, what do you think? Yeah, Laura? I mean, I think, yeah, this is going to be an excuse to bring a bunch of these characters back. I mean, we're going to see Bill Berg, and I almost have a feeling that we're going to see that these, like, the Dave Filoni and Carson, the Rebel pilots, uh, mm. or New Republic pilots, excuse me, um, bring them back into the into the fray. I wonder if we're going to see any of the other characters, because this the assumption is that they're all, all of the characters from, was it, episode five last season, mm. were all in this prison together. And I wonder if we're just going to bust all of them out and try and recruit all of them for help. Oh, I kind of hope no, not. But, no. But they're all going to be there. So it would almost be kind of weird if we didn't at least see them. Um, yeah. But yeah. That, that's, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm I, looking to the like to sort of two part finale that I hope that we're getting, but I have a feeling that there's going to be kind of another side quest of trying yeah. to get Bill Burr and then him probably betraying Mando in some fashion because that just seems like the guy he is and that's going to yeah. lead us down a whole nother rabbit hole. But who knows? Yeah, you know, there, it's, it is funny. I, I, you know, I as much as I want to give, like, Rick Famuyiwa uh, and, and everybody, like, the benefit of the doubt, and I do give them the benefit of the doubt, they've not led us astray so far in the bigger picture of things. Yeah, when I'm thinking of all the things that I'm excited about, that I want to see. I want to see more Boba Fett action. I'd love Cobb Vanth to come back. I want Ahsoka to get in there somehow. I want to find out more about Thrawn. I want to see if anyone is going to answer Grogu's call. I'm not really super, super interested about a Prison Break episode. Mm -hmm. um, like that is that is probably lower on my list of things that I'm super excited to see. That being said, they've proven time and again that when they want to speed up the pace, like I think one of the things they do really well and that they did last season in their Chapter 7 was we got so used to sort of this pace of Mandalorian that when they all of a sudden sped up and got the band together in like the first five minutes, it was like, oh shit, 
So are we going to have to watch an entire episode of A Prison Break before we get to the last episode and all the action? Or do we just open up and they've just broken them out like boom and we get into it? And so it'll be interesting to see kind of where the pacing of all that is. And like I said, like they ultimately season one as much as the complaint was all of these missions are kind of separated, I don't really know what the bigger picture is, they certainly stuck the landing. And this season has been even stronger throughout. And so I have no doubts that they will stick the landing, but I'm really curious to see how they do it and how this prison break ties into it. Yeah, and it'd be weird to ask Rick to direct two prison break episodes. That would be weird, right? I mean, like... (laughs) Hey, you had one shot. Maybe you could do a little bit better second time around. Like, I, I would hate to have him. If I, you know, if I'm an established director, I would hate that responsibility. It wouldn't make any sense. Uh, but uh, so we'll wrap up here. This for spoiler review of uh, you know season two, episode six, uh, the tragedy here, chapter fourteen of the Mandalorian. Hope you all enjoyed the room. Hope hope we gave you something to chew on to think about as we head into these last two episodes before we take our Christmas breaks. And then WandaVision shows up on January 15th. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Laura. Dink, any- Farrick. Yeah, exactly. Laura, <laughs> any any final words? And please plug anything uh, and everything that you're, uh, you got going on. Sure. Final thoughts. I mentioned at the beginning that there, this episode left me wanting a little bit in some aspects. Um, I, I think that that component that we had of Grogu on the Sitting Stone and the Force Field and... Hmm reaching out through the force to try and contact other Jedi, I would have liked to have seen that play out a little bit more. I think if this had been an animated series, that would have played out on screen. um, And I would have gotten a little bit more satisfaction out of that moment. Maybe we would have heard somebody talking or we would have actually gotten to see a little bit of what Grogu was seeing. That's what I was wanting a little bit, or at least that's part of what I was wanting this episode. But overall, um, while it wasn't my favorite episode this season, I'm really excited that other people are excited about it. I love that there are some people out there that are, as excited about this episode as I was about last week's. Mm. Um, That makes me really happy because that was just like euphoric happiness for me last week. So if you're experiencing that right now, awesome. Like, good on you. Um, But yeah, in the meantime, you can find me and my other show at uh, on Twitter. My my Twitter handle is shut up underscore Laura. That's right down there. My show is at Force Toast Pod, where I host a podcast with my friend where we drink wine and talk about Star Wars. There you go, Mike. Uh, yeah, I thought this was a blast. Uh, like I said, I think that this episode, although it had some big surprises and moments, like there, the the big the big things that happened in this episode were things that we all at least assumed were coming. Hmm. So, uh, but I think these were the pieces that needed to get put into place to move all the characters on this chessboard to the locations that we need them to be, so that these next two episodes can really blow us out of the water. Uh, R.I.P. Razorcrest, uh, Grogu phone home, lots of good stuff here. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited to see where this lands. This has been a hell of a ride this season. Uh, and you know, this, I think I read in an article somewhere, somebody said that like, what the way that Filoni, Favreau and team are handling Star Wars in Mandalorian are, is a, is a course study in all the ways that J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson, for whatever your opinions are on them, on their individual films, the way that they did not handle Star Wars in the in those in that trilogies, and I think that there's some good truth there. Again, not saying that any of those individual movies are bad, good, whatever your tastes are. If you like them, they're great. But 
the threads that they're weaving between the old and the new and these new characters and tying it into everything else, I think is uh, really, really well done. And you can follow me at MKToon, which is right down there. And you can tune in for these lovely interview uh, reviews or uh, you can see me, Johnny, and uh, our geek buddy, Shannon McClung, on our weekly episodes of Geek Buddies. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of Shannon, uh, we're planning on him being back next week, both for Geek Buddies and for the reviews of The Mandalorian. So thank you, Laura, so much for sitting in. We might ask you to come on back and do a four-person panel. Yeah, hey, if why not? If you've got the time, we love it. We've loved your input. We loved your points of views. Uh, and the fans have as well. So it would be a lot of fun if you have time to come on and join us again and kind of end out the season or end the season with you as well. Um, yeah, uh, I will say this. I enjoyed the episode. Didn't 100% love the episode, but I certainly enjoyed the episode. I think the number one thing for me about this episode is the whole season, they've been kind of, kind of leaning into these 70s, 80s type serial shows that we used to get way back in the day, like Incredible Hulk, Bionic Man, those kung fu those kinds of shows that we back had back in the 70s and 80s. And this was the perfect uh, encapsulation of that as an episode. Just Ming-Na running across uh, that whole ridge as she's getting shot at. That is total 70s stuff. It was so much to, It was so much fun to see and feel that again and get those vibes again. So I took a lot of joy out of a lot of the things that Robert Rodriguez did. And I thought he directed this episode really, really well. Whether you enjoy the overall effect of it or what was revealed, that's a separate conversation. But direction-wise, I thought he did a stellar job. And I hope they give him an episode next season uh, to do as well. That would be a lot of fun. And maybe something more expansive, maybe out in space, and see what Robert can do with some CGI and some extra stuff. But the battle sequences were well shot, well directed, and everything that happened around it, I thoroughly enjoyed. So um, you can find me at the Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. Instagram. Uh, and thank you all so much for watching our review or listening to our review as we put them up on the Geek Buddies podcast feed as well. Remember to like and share this video and leave a comment down below. The more likes, the more comments you leave. It elevates the visibility of the show, please. And also, don't forget, uh, we do the Geek Buddies, as Mikey said, but also the Jedi Way. Laura and I do that show every couple of weeks. We just dropped the most recent episode. If you haven't watched it, we go through the history of Ahsoka Tano and start to maybe guess about what's coming next for her down the road so that was a great episode a lot of fun uh so there you go so all right thanks everybody uh take care of yourselves be well have a good weekend and come on back and join us for another uh episode review of the mandalorian here on the geek buddies Part Stephen King, part Chuck Palahniuk, Infected blends science fiction and horror into a pulpy masterpiece of action, terror, and suspense. James Rollins, New York Times bestselling author of The Judas Strain and Black Order. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Powerfully written, an unforgettable central character. Dallas Morning News. Infected is one hell of an exhilarating ride. Joe R. Lansdale, World Horror Convention grand 
grandmaster and author of Bubba Hotep and Hap and Leonard. All 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror, are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Sigler is the Richard Matheson of the 21st century. Infected is a flawless thinking person's thriller. Jonathan Mayberry, Bram Stoker award-winning author of B-Wars and the Joe Ledger series. 